coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen. Uh, we talk about the Hong Kong Film Awards nomination, the box office success of local indie 10 years, uh, the wrapping of production for Derek Kwok's Wukong, and we talk about the 2015 single stay movie, The Last Woman Standing. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and coming to you from his news desk in the back corner of Shuchi's shoe closet is Mr. Kevin Ma. There are a surprisingly amount of men's shoes back here, Paul. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. No idea what's going on. What, what are you telling us? They're, they're, I don't know. They're not, they're not Mr. Eddie Peng's shoes, by chance. Do you know his shoe size? They might be Mr. Steven Funk's shoes. <laughs> okay. But, uh, I, I ain't saying nothing. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. The, the, this, is, this is not the gossip podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, we don't want to get sued for uh, libel or slander or whatever the hell that celebrity sue bloggers we have these yes, days. Yes, in, indeed, indeed. Yeah. Well, how's it going, sir? We are uh, just at the cusp of the Chinese New Year, you know? So you, have you made all your preparations? Everything going well? Just, just not much preparation uh, in terms of uh, what I have to do. I don't really have to host anyone during the New Year holiday. Yeah. Uh, just going to you know have some dinner with relatives and um, go to the Wan Tai Sin Temple as I usually do every year. And then movies, movies, movies. So five days off this year. Pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. It's a big, long weekend. I am hopeful that I can get out and um, see a couple of the movies. But uh, I'm expecting that like most years, there will be a crash at uh, local cinemas. As people jam out, and uh, a lot, I think I guess a lot of people are already out booking uh, houses now. Early, uh, I was just checking online; they don't have um, they don't have online ticket sales yet for uh, a lot of the Chinese New Year movies. But I'm guessing that'll open up in the next day or so. Yeah, Friday night is uh, the early showings for Monkey King and uh, which i call it, Vegas to Macau Free. Um, they're kind of filling up, um, not very quickly but they're filling up um oh i just checked the the friday night screenings of monkey king actually filled up at least one cinema um but yeah um it's it's going to be a pretty wild holiday i mean not not huge in terms of like like past year as well last year we had a really crazy holiday right i think last year we had like four or five local films yeah um quite a bit but this year just three and and the other ones are you know the foreign films are a little weak um the Good Dinosaur, kind of one of the least anticipated Pixar film in quite some time. Alvin the Chipmunks, which I guess was supposed to be a Christmas movie. And uh, and um, what's the other one? We have Deadpool coming on, which, you know, how many... Oh, by the way, Deadpool, now now officially category free, Paul. Yes, yes, quite happy about that. Um, I'm just hopeful that I can get out and see it uh, sometime next week. That, yeah, yeah. Plan, so trying to catch on the first day of uh, or first day it opens. Actually, the Tuesday and Wednesdays, uh, the holiday, 
uh, are considered early event screenings, which mm. is kind of a clever way to say to to try and cash in on the uh, holiday period. Um, but yeah, so so quite a few films. Not I think last year we had more film. Last year we had Vegas Macau two. We had um, gosh, we have the twelve uh, twelve Golden Ducks. Yeah, we had Triumph in the Skies. Um, actually, I think last year we had more diversity in terms yeah, of. We also people. had the. Um... The one film that didn't kind of work as an experiment, uh, Raymond Wong's film. Um, oh right, the um, based on the the play. Right, right, indeed. The, the um, uh, gosh, the Inspector Calls, yeah. Inspector Calls, yeah. yeah. There you go. We had a bit more. Instead, this year they just re-released an older film. So mm-hmm. you know, because I guess Inspector Calls didn't make enough money for them to to do that. But um, you know, so I, I've got of, of of course I got some screeners to watch uh, for 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 work. Um, so so you know I'm pretty and not so Netflix and uh, thanks to your VPN um, reminder last week I tried it on Amazon and Amazon and I joined Amazon Prime and Amazon Video works on the VPN. Yeah, that's very nice. It's very. So nice. I've been watching uh, Mozart in the Jungle and hope to catch some more Amazon shows uh, next yeah. couple. Of weeks. The stability is not always there with the VPN I use. Um, it might be, at least the app version uh, does. Uh, drop out on me once in a while but for the most part it's 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 more than watchable so all right cool so so lots of stuff to do um you, of course you have a lot of family gatherings I yeah guess. we've got lots of uh family plans and stuff but um i am hopeful that uh at least the missus and i can get out and and catch um, a couple of these films i know she she's a big x-men fan so um deadpool is definitely one we're going to try and get out and see and i know she she'll have no interest in the the Vegas to Macau, that'll be a video watch for her, I think, if at all. But I do want to try and get her out to see maybe um, The Monkey King, and definitely she wants to see Stephen Chow's movie. So, um, so yeah, you know, hopefully we can get tickets, but if not, you know, by I think by next weekend, um, things will have cleared up once the holiday days are officially sort of off, and I'll be able to catch up on some stuff. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to the holiday. I do have quite a bit of work to do because the semester starts um, exactly the week after the holiday. So um, I've got a lot of uh, uh, course prep and I'm still finalizing some of the stuff from last semester, which is technically still, you know, still still going. Uh, classes have finished up and I've got some student presentations and those kind of things to take care of. But uh, I am hoping to catch up on quite a bit of television during the holiday because I am behind um, on a couple things and I'm hoping to be able to use uh, a few of the days to just kind of sit and and uh, do some uh, marathoning of a few of the shows that I'm a bit behind on but uh, yeah looking forward to it and hopefully we'll get out together and maybe catch a couple of these Lunar New Year films together. Actually, the uh, February s- still looks pretty packed even after the holidays. Um, we still got Crouching Tiger 2 uh, on the 19th. We got the new Petra Khan production, um, PG Love on the 25th, and the Brother Wong movie, mm. <laughs> The Secret, <laughs> on the 25th. <laughs> yeah, no sarcasm in that laugh at all. No, no, I don't, yeah. I don't do sarcasm. <laughs> He that? said sarcastically. All right. Um, well, we're going to talk about um, our one film, at least, on this episode, but we'll get to that after a little bit of talk with our news. So back over to you, sir, with our news for this week. Here at the news desk, um, well, big news, I guess, last week. I think we missed it just by, like, two days or something. Hong Kong Film Awards nominations uh, announced. 
Yeah, have you looked at the list, Paul? I mean, I could do a little big summary, but first of all, you looked at the list. I've looked at the list um, with, uh, like, maybe a couple exceptions. It was kind of in line with, I think, the Hong Kong film critics um, nominees and, and winners, right? Um, there were a couple standout exceptions, and I think you'll tell us about those. Right. Uh, a, a quick, I guess, um, quick, uh, what you might call it, a uh, summary of of the nominations. Uh, Port of Call, the Philip Young film, um, leads the nomination, 13 nominations. And I have a feeling that they are nominating the um, director's cut because the theatrical cuts editor, um, uh, William Chang, is actually not listed as an editor on mm. the Best Film Editing nomination. So I think they took the uh, um, director's cut in consideration instead of the theatrical cut. So if you do have a chance to watch a video, do try to catch the director's cut because that's the one that's getting all the uh, big award attention, including the Golden Horse and also this one. Um, you know, that's not a surprise. I mean, lots of lots of um, good word about the film. And it's a solid film. Um, taking of Tiger Mountain, uh, Trey Hark always gets a ton of nominations. Um, it got it is at number it has 10 nominations sorry the second most nominated film um you know best film trey hark uh best uh no best screenplay sorry no uh best actor for, i don't know why Long, uh, tony learn is best actor but here it is yeah this is weird for me because i'm i've just started watching the film and it's a pretty long film so i've been taking it piecemeal and i think i'm like she hasn't shown up yet 30 it? minutes in and i'm like wait Tony Long's nominated. I haven't even seen him yet, right? So, um, I, I, I think that the Hong Kong Film Awards um, tend to, uh, at least the film company, try and submit you know, better known names to Hong Kong voters. So I think the film company uh, voluntarily uh, nominated, put placed Long Kong Fai as the media actor instead of, uh, um, what's his name, Lee Gun Shin, who is the young, young soldier, the mm -hmm. young uh, captain. Instead of him, they uh, put up uh, Long Kong Fai's name instead. So that's probably why little big master um another major nominee i think six or five six nominations including best picture best actress best uh director best screenplay um but none of the technical stuff as expected in man 3 also um just like in man 2 actually uh eight nominations um lots of major nominations including best um, film best director of course not not best screenplay. Donnie did not get a best actor nomination, but Mas Zhang or Zhang Jin uh, did get nominated for best supporting actor, which is pretty cool. Uh, Zhang Jin also nominated for SPL two, and personally, you know, I I think deservedly so. What else do we have here? Let's see. Um, Little Big Master, we talk about. Okay, so the fifth one is called The Outlier. Ten years, the indie film that we'll talk about in a little bit it has only one nomination. That's best film. And understandably so, actually, because the film company uh, served up the names of all five directors and all five screenwriters for the films as the, the nominees. And I think since not all the films are solid enough um, or the um, uh, voters aren't really willing to consider all five as best director because there are kind of weak links in that film. So uh, they're not really willing to think about it, that. But as uh, per uh, Hong Kong Film Award Association... Uh, uh, tradition, they do um, nominate some of their buddies, including uh, the head of the uh, Directors Association, Derek Yee. His latest film, I Am Somebody, um, got director and best screenplay nominations, which, um, again, personally, I did really did not think it deserved. Perhaps best screenplay, but definitely not, not best director. Look at best actor. 
the we have uh, three of the four heavenly kings uh, this year. We have Andy Lau for Lost in Love. We have Jackie Chan for Heaven in the Dark, which I mentioned at the uh, the the show about the Hong Kong Film Critics Society Award. Aaron Kwok for Port of Call, like I said, Tony Leung earlier for um, uh, Tiger Tiger Mountain, and Nick Chun for Keeper of Darkness. Isn't he up for Best New Director as well for that? He is because uh, the rule is that if you made two films or less, you can you're qualified yeah. to uh, I, get. A I had best. a I did, I was kind of questioning that because I'm like, well, I, I don't know. You go back it's and look like, at uh, his first film; <laughs> it kind of comes out to a maybe a C average. <laughs> It's only his second film, so yeah. it, it still works. They used to have a um, Death Hope. They used to have a uh, a, a 40, 40, I think um, maximum age of forty for best new director, mm. and they took it. They took it away, and that's how Ruby Ann got nominated last year for uh, 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 My Voice, My Life, the documentary. Uh, even though she's directed for like thirty years already, she somehow got a best new director nomination. Also, uh, for Keeper of Darkness, I think, what, four or five nominations, I think. So um, there's also Louis Chun, who is a Best Supporting Actor. Paul, you've seen the film. What do you think? Um, yeah. You, think? Uh, you know. he, He's joined by, joined by two Zhang Jin nominations, Andrew Lam for Full Strike, and uh, Michael Ning for Port of Call. So that, that's your, that's your, your uh, um, context there. Did you think of any, anyone else that, that you know could maybe be more deserving than any of these five nominees. Hmm. Yeah, it was that kind of year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that kind of year. Um, actually, a film that I did like a lot, Murmur of the Hearts, did, did not get nominated for any of the major awards. Um, it is considered a Hong Kong film because I think Sylvia Chang's uh, production company is based in Hong Kong, so it got considered as a Hong Kong film. Angelica Lee uh, is the sole nominee, uh, from that film uh, for Best Supporting Actress. Also, Office, Johnny Toast Office, mostly ignored, actually. Um, so clearly, Sylvia Chang, of course, nominated for Best Actress, but nothing for Johnny Toe, nothing for the uh, Sylvia Chang script. But of course, the art direction did get uh, nominated. Quick look at Best Actress, Tom Wei for Tale of Two Cities. I think we're starting to call it the obligatory Tom Wei nomination, right? Mm. Every year, Tom Wick gets a nomination for something. Um, Miriam Yuan for Little Big Master. Sylvia Chan for Office. Karina Lam for Heaven in the Dark. And Jessie Lee, who I think won Best Actress for the Hong Kong Film Critics Society, nominated this year for Port of Call. And also, in the uh, both Michael Ning and Jessie Lee nominated for Best New Performer. Um, and the others in Best New Performer, uh, you have Cecilia So from She Remembers He Forgets, Cicely Choi from Keep- Keeper of Darkness, and Jay Ari for uh, Get Out of Here. Finally, quick look down at the best film from mainland China, or just China, best film from China and Taiwan, Zha Zhang Ke's Mountains May Depart, Zha Zhang Ke's The Assassin, uh, Lu Ye's Blind Massage, and the two outliers, uh, Romantic Comedy Our Times, and Zhang Zhaganad's uh, Wolf totem so paul which you were talking about there's some kind of surprises uh which ones uh were they you know uh 10 years i think coming in as best film because it kind of hasn't been seen by a lot of people um but it sort of snuck in at the end of the year and i know it got a lot of buzz it'll be interesting to see if that actually wins because of some of the i guess some of the political talk that's been going on (laughs) about that film in in various circles, I would argue that actually it's made more money than at least half the nominees on that list. Mm, yeah, but it I think it is interesting to uh, 
for me, um, seeing both uh, Port of Call and Little Big Master, both, uh, especially Little Big Master as, as sort of a smaller film, but both films that I think resonate locally with local stories, right? As opposed to, you know, the big blockbusters like uh, It Man 3 and Taking of Tiger Mountain. Hong Kong Film Awards actually committee has a tendency to reward big box office winners as well. So Little Big Master and It Man. It Man's already made fifty-seven million. Little Big Master's over well over forty. So the two biggest uh highest grossing films of the year uh on there, which actually not surprised. Like I said, they, they really have kind of um like you know, like like Stephen Chow films who win best film that year or gets tons of nominations. They really tend to or Cold War, they have a big tendency to reward or to equate high box office growth with qualities. Yeah. Like. I mean I, I you know, I am kind of surprised to see an It Man 3 in there as opposed to um, something like Lost in Love, um, which does have some nominations but is not considered, I guess, best best picture worthy. Um, uh, a reminder that actually It Man 2 did win best picture that year. Yeah. I, I guess the one that I'm kind of disappointed that I, I don't see listed is um, Lin Xiong for It Man 3. What? Yeah, because I thought she, I mean, she finally, they finally gave her something to do. And uh, I think she had some very, you know, a very good performance towards the end of the film. I mean, look, they've got Janice Mann in there from Helios. Seriously? Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, there, there are always questions about uh, anytime we see these listings, everybody's got their own, you know, personal favorites, I guess. Um, so we'll have to uh, come back in a few months and discuss the actual winners right yeah the winner i think uh the award is in uh mid-april mid-april and uh this year we have lao ching one uh hosting for the first time and i think they announced the co-host but sorry i i didn't um look it up hmm. but he's gonna have a co-host i don't and i don't think it's eric Zhang for the first <laughs> finally hmm. so um oh sorry um ivana wong was the uh guest sort of guest presenter in terms of the nominations. But yeah, um, unfortunately, Lao Cheng Wen did not get nominated for his work um, this year. Hmm. Yeah. All right, then. Well, uh, again, we'll be back sometime in April once the awards have been uh, handed out, and we'll talk about you know our thoughts on that. And maybe, just maybe, we will have also completed the Love HK Film Awards by then, but it's doubtful. <laughs> I seriously, we get later and later every year, right? <laughs> but but I I do try, I am gonna try my best. It's what April third. Let's see if I can do uh, let's see if I can do live blog this this year. I I, I hope to um yeah I'll try yeah. my best. All right, well that's something at least to look forward to. That, that's something to look forward to, I suppose. All right, so uh, what's next on the news agenda? All right, coming up, we were just talking about ten years. And 10 years has actually been a surprise comedy. Um, not sorry, not comedy. Box office hit in, here in Hong Kong. Hey, you haven't seen it, right, Paul? I have not seen it yet, no. You have not seen it. You've seen my blog post on it. So, obviously, I've, I've seen the film. But, actually, since it's opened, um, it's, and it opened on a very small scale. It opened at one screen uh, on the same weekend as Star Wars The Force Awakens. And has not actually expanded to more than a five-screen release here in Hong Kong. Despite that, as of Sunday, it has already made... 696,974 American dollars. So that's actually roughly about five, six million, which is very impressive actually for a film that only had a five screen release. Some, I mean, many of the, like I said earlier, many of these films, for example, Take of Tiger Mountain, Port of Call, I Am Somebody, uh, or um, 
even uh, I'm not sure how much two thumbs up went. Lost in Love. Um, these films didn't even gross that much. Uh, I think Office didn't even gross that much. So the fact that this little small indie film has has made more money than you know films of Johnny Toe and Derek Yee and Trey Hark kind of says say something about one. First of all, the film's quality. The film is great. Um, I think most of the film is actually quite solid. Uh, it's it's five. And for people who don't know yet, uh, the film it's an uh, omnibus film with five short films made by young directors, and it's uh, certain and it's involves a concept where these directors sort of predict what Hong Kong would be like 10 years from now. And it's a very heavily political film and, and it's kind of inspired a lot of people or, you know, scared a lot of people. And in addition to good buzz, thanks to China's Global Times, uh, they've written an editorial uh, um, about the film, obviously negative. So, so, so that kind of helped actually spur a lot of people would be like, "Wow, what 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 kind of film has has even has China scared? Why why are they scared of the smaller indie films?" So actually, it, it's picked up quite a bit of attraction. Unfortunately, this coming up on New Year holiday, and and the screens are are, are, are shrinking fast. Producers have already planned a uh, a school tour, a university tour around Hong Kong uh, through the rest of February. It seems like, but yeah, it's kind of great that we have this small little indie film. Uh, really. Finding resonance with with audiences, and um, of course the the CNN and Time, New York Times already wrote written about it. But for the interest of this podcaster, uh, I suggest you all to go read my blog post on www.loveachayfilm.com uh, at the Golden Rock blog uh, about why uh, Ten Years is the most important Hong Kong film uh, in recent years. All right, our final bit of news this week is uh, about uh, director Derek Kwok. Yeah, uh, shifting over to production news, um, Derek Kwok, uh, ever s- after um, As the Light Goes Out, uh, he's went into China and made this film called Wukong and the film uh, Rap Production this week. It is, yes, it, it, it jumps on the bandwagon of the Monkey King um, popularity bandwagon. Um, the film stars Eddie Pang. I think as the, uh, well, actually the, film, the film's concept is based on an internet novel. That this, uh, where Sun Wukong isn't the Monkey King, apparently. Uh, and that he plays is like a, this young punk who's like looking for love. It's kind of a Yoon story. Um, it's kind of a reimagination of the characters. Um, and the novel actually even is kind of similar to um, uh, Jeff Lau's version of, of the Monkey King story, Chinese Odyssey, where it's actually a much more of a love story and a bit more of a Yoon kind of rebellion story more than like a, uh, a typical um, fantasy um, uh, epic. Uh, so the film stars Eddie, Eddie Pang as uh, Wukong. It also has his buddy, uh, Sean Yu, as the another uh, major character. It has Nini as Jisha, or actually the Athena Wong, uh, Athena, um, Athena Chu character from Chinese Odyssey. Um, and it will be played by Nini, um, who you may remember from uh, Flowers of War. Uh, anyway, the film directed by Derek Kwok just wrapped this week. I'm not sure how many Monkey King films we're expecting this year, but uh, this is at least the second one. <laughs> Does this sound like something you might be interested in, Paul? I kind of reimagine. I know you love the you like the Monkey King a lot. So, so um, what do you think about a, a reimagined uh, version of the character and reimagine the love story as a youth story? One word, lame. Woo! <laughs> I'm sorry, it's lame. I mean, if he wants to make a youth uh, high school love drama, whatever with Eddie Peng, make that. Don't try and 
slap on that uh, he's, you know, the the Monkey King when he's not. I hate when they do stuff like that. You know, if you want to make a Monkey King movie, make a freaking Monkey King movie. Right? So you did not like you did not like Jeff Lau's Chinese Odyssey. Uh, originally, I did not. When I first saw it in the cinema back in you know what was it the nineties, I, I hated it because I went in thinking that it was going to be a Monkey King movie. Now over the years, because of the humor in it, and because of the way it plays with you know the, the actual Monkey King story and and the characters, I've grown to love it. But when I the, when I first saw it in the cinemas, I was like, "What is this? This isn't you know this isn't the Monkey King I was expecting." So yeah, I'm I'm not a fan when they when they, you know, do stuff like this. If you can't do it right, don't do it. Like you know, I'm thinking of like the Dragon Ball movie, right? I mean, come on. If you're just borrowing the name because you want to use that to help sell your idea, and you don't really have any mm-hmm. an, any intention to put a legitimate effort into the creation of the intellectual property. I, I, I That just doesn't inspire, you know, any desire to go see it in me. I, I think that this Monkey King thing has been so overdone, and I think it sort of needs that breath of fresh air, and I think that's what Jeff Lau did. No, because um, they've done that. They've done, Look at what, like, go back to, uh, what's his name? Uh, you know, Nick and, is it Nick and Charlene's movie? A Chinese Tall Story, same kind of thing. You know, it's like this reimagining, reinvention. It, it just is not very good. I mean... Make an original story of your own. Create your own characters. Create your own mythos. Create your own universe. But don't take existing characters that people love and transform them. You know, nobody wants to see a reimagining of Luke Skywalker, right? In in Star Wars, nobody. You know, just create your own stuff, right? Haven't you seen the um, the local netizen created a video of uh, Luke Sky- uh, Star Wars uh, done as a Patrick Kong movie? Yes, yes. I <laughs> I, I'm not saying I watch it, but I'm saying that it's you know it's out. That, that, that was funny. That was yeah, funny. See, you know, um, but you know that's parody, and and parody True. is fine. So True. You know, I love Galaxy Quest. So, uh, but honestly, I've seen so. I never, for some reason, I never thought the Monkey King character as a very attractive character to me. I never was really that. I didn't like, I don't really still like him all that much. So I kind of, in my personal opinion, I do kind of welcome any sort of new new version or kind of new ways to to uh, interpret this character. And for what it's worth, the, uh, according to uh, Baidu, which is Chinese Google, um, the original novel did earn praises from Wong Kar Wai and Jeff Lau. Hmm. Wow. So. You know, I, I think I read somewhere where somebody was, was putting forth a thesis or an essay basically saying you know the monkey king is kind of the first superhero and if you kind of look at him in that context you know with the havoc in heaven being his origin story and then the actual journey when he you know teams up with um with with the monk to you know go get the scriptures as kind of the chapter two you know, get you know, getting his power and then going and learning how to use the power, great power, great responsibility, this kind of thing. But he's very flawed because that's the nature of, of, of Monkey. You know, that's why you get people who look at something like Man of Steel and get angry over it because they change the basic fundamentals of of the Superman character and, and that upsets people. And well, I thought that's kind of why the uh, Stephen Chow uh, conquering the demons was so kind of awesome because it turns the monk into the superhero. The monk is the origin of the monk, which I thought is kind of cool because we've seen so many Monkey King origin stories that we kind of shift 
we turn is it Stephen Chow what Stephen Chow did was that turn him into the superhero, which is kind of cool. Because he's always the one that needs to be protected. But now here, like, he's the superhero. And, well, I mean, and Conquering Demons turns out at the very end, you realize that it is the origin story of how he groups these people together into, like, Avengers kind of thing. Yeah, and in, you know, depending on how it's depicted or how you read into it in the story, I mean, the monk is still the superhero because he has control over Monkey with the circlet, right? I mean, he you know, is able to rein him in and, and make him be good um, when he needs him to be good. Again, this this might be good, you know, I'm, I, I know I'm bashing it long before we've ever even seen anything, but just hearing the concept on paper, all right, we're going to make, you know, we're going to take these characters, we're going to use the names, we're going to make this Grease. You know, I just, it just <laughs> doesn't, you know, it, I, it doesn't gel well in my mind, you know. I could be wrong, uh, you know, I'll give it a chance when it comes out, it could be great, but at first blush, I just think, no, thanks. <laughs> I could have given a very terrible synopsis, which is why. <laughs> <laughs> so, I apologize in advance. <laughs> Alright, well, why don't we take a short musical break, and we'll come back and talk about our film for this week, from last year, The Last Women Standing. <laughs> And we're back. Our film for this week, The Last Women Standing. And that is, if it sounds weird when I'm saying it, it is women, uh, not woman standing. So um, it's not to be confused with the documentary film, Last Woman Standing. Although the Wikipedia entry does list it also as Last Woman Standing. But at least the print that I saw up there in big uh, English letters, it said Last Women Standing, both on the poster and on the film. The story itself, uh, Shu Chi plays as Shang Rushi, a 30-year-old career woman who has never known love. Her henpecking mother hounds her to get married lest she become a left-behind woman, and to this end she sets her up with uh, various blind dates, including uh, a, a middle-aged doctor named Dr. Bai, with whom Rushi feels no passion. But when a handsome young office assistant, played by a, the younger Eddie Pang, arrives on the scene, Rushi begins to have feelings she has never known before. This is, uh, as we mentioned, a kind of leftover film from 2015. This was a film that was released for Singles Day, which is, um, I guess, a sort of a new-fashioned holiday in China. Uh, takes place in November, I think it's around November 11th or so, if memory serves. And this is like the anti-Valentine's Day, as I understand it, right? It is a a day for people to go out and shop and buy gifts and it's it's just like a it's it's just like another crazy sort of consumer holiday but uh you know if you were looking at any china news around this period it's a huge online shopping day it's bigger in in i think overall spending than um 
Black Friday is in, in the United States. So this is a film that's I, I, in part trying to tie into, I guess, uh, this as you know part of the holiday. But the film does start off, if I remember the dates correctly, it starts off on Valentine's Day uh, in 2015. So it kind of takes place within the course uh, of 2015. And as I said, so for us, we're getting it here in 2016 in Hong Kong, but it was released uh, much earlier in China. So as a leftover film, it's very much like eating leftovers, and it's about as fun. You know, with leftovers, there's a bit of substance. It'll fill you up, but it's just not as good as fresh food. And for me, the biggest problem is I never really felt the chemistry between the two leads. I just didn't think it was there. It wasn't their fault because they're both super attractive. They both can exude great chemistry when, you know, when they're on the screen given the proper writing. And so here I think the for me the major down point was the way that they were written together. I never really felt like they had enough on, on-screen time together. And by the time they do get together, it just doesn't feel organic. It doesn't feel like these people would like each other yet. And it's like suddenly one of them is confessing, you know, feelings for the other. And it just was like, well, you've only been together for a few scenes. It just doesn't seem, it just doesn't seem like it it feels right. So this is coming from a new director. This director is named Lolo, if I'm saying that, or Lulu, Lolo. 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 Um, yeah, in, in Putonghua. As I understand it, so this is her first film. She is a novelist. She wrote this story. And I'm guessing that this is sort of like the Guo Jingming effect in some ways. You know, this she, is. Her, she is actually, I think, signed under Guo Jingming's company as right. a novelist. So, so, so you're right. Guo Jingming is, for those who may not follow a lot of China film, is the right. He, he's a young adult writer. Um, Luo Luo is also considered a young adult writer. And so she's got her novels. She's now directing this film based on her novel. And Guo Jingming, the films I know him best from are Tiny Times, one through four. He's got other publications. And I think, has he done other films as well, Kevin? Guo Jingming did Tiny Times. Uh, He's directing a motion capture film. But of course, he's one of the richest, most successful, I think, young writers in China, yeah. pretty much the most successful because he's not only become this, you know, created these big novel series, he's also created this empire, uh, managing writers and has his own kind of young adult literature empire in China. Yeah. So, I mean, in some ways, I see this as the equivalent of letting somebody like J.K. Rowling direct Harry Potter movies or Stephanie Meyer come on board to direct the Twilight films, right? It's, I, I'm, I'm not sure why they have this semblance that, okay, you're a successful young adult novelist, so you've got the chops to now be a director. Um, it's China, that's why. You know, um, China. <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, it shows here uh, to some extent. Now, interestingly, the if I have my information correct, the cinematographer is actually the same cinematographer from The Assassin. Li Pingping. Um, so... You know, it does have some credible production support here, and and the film does look good. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll give it that much, but um, in terms of the characterizations, they just never truly gel. In fact, I think Xu Qi's character herself is almost borderline what we would call Mary Sue, right? In that she's just kind of a 
of a, a stand-in for the author herself. I mean, she is successful, attractive, a dutiful daughter. You know, she's got everything going for her. She's, you know, has a high position in the um, co company she works in, and yet she's unable to find love. And we're never really given a clear semblance of why this is, you know. And it doesn't even make sense in that context because you cast Shu Chi in this role. They don't dumb her down. They don't make her look like an ugly Betty. She's not dumpy or frumpy looking. She looks like very attractive Shu Chi, just like in other Shu Chi films. So we're just expected as the audience to believe that this 30-year-old woman who's successful, intelligent, educated, in a, in a China where there's a gender imbalance, no less, you know, far more men than women, that she cannot find love. Even if we're taken, you know, to, to, to accept all of that, we still, you know, have to get beyond the fact that they get into the Eddie Peng character in, into, the, into the office. He comes in as an office assistant. He ends up working very closely with Xu Qi's character and chemistry develops, which is fine if they gave us more time. But actually, Eddie kind of disappears He's not actually in the movie all that much. Uh, uh, much of the movie is Xu Qi kind of emoting in quite a few scenes by herself, um, you know, or doing some subplotting things with either her family or her friends. But the interesting thing here is that what, what I've been told or where I, what I've come across elsewhere is what we know as the 15-5 uh, or the 5-15 rule, right? Do you, know, do you know what that is, Kevin? No idea. Have you heard of this? Okay, no. so it is that the it is the idea that a man can date a woman fifteen years younger or five years older. A woman can date a man um, five years younger or fifteen years older. Right, <laughs> so that's the fifteen five five fifteen. So Eddie is ten years older and ten years younger in the film. I think she's like no 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 right? I, she's thirty. They can, they keep referring to her as thirty. So he's only five. only yeah no she's thirty something. I think they said 30. I kind of... No I, way. You don't think... So? I, I could be wrong, but I Sorry, thought... maybe because I know, maybe because I know Shuchi's age, but... Yeah. No way. I thought they, I thought they were, were, were said a few times that she was she was 30. She had just hit 30. Um, could be wrong. But anyway, she's in her 30s at least. Um, I wouldn't say she's more than 35, but uh, Eddie is mentioned as being 25. Right. Um, when he comes into the office. So uh, it's it's hitting that, that five-year acceptance you know where she is older uh by by that margin at least which is fine i mean uh you know i i think it's great i would have liked i think it would have been better if they'd even gotten an older actress you know and and pushed the boundaries of that kind of relationship a little bit further been a little bit more progressive it does try in some ways to be a romantic comedy but it's really more straight on romantic drama there's just quite a few scenes where it's heavy drama emoting over the top a lot of times and a few comedic scenes nothing that really kind of stands out as what i would consider great comedy and uh, nothing that's really very you know no overly memorable there's a thing about like a usb and uh, there's a, a nosebleed scene and it's kind of stuff that you've probably seen elsewhere um and here too i think it's going through the motions of what a normal romantic comedy would try to do and building up the, the the relationship between the characters but there's just not enough there's just not enough there the mother is played by um pan hong 
who, um, you know, some, some will have seen before, and I think, uh, bit parts like Aftershock and things like this. The Dr. Bai character has had roles in Jackie Chan's uh, 1911. He's uh, slated as being in the upcoming sci-fi movie later this year, The Three-Body Problem. And uh, for me, though, the biggest, um, the, the, I think the biggest surprise was um, the f- character of Rushi's father, played by Taiwanese actor um, King Shi Che. And he has a monologue at the end, um, almost at the very end of the film, which actually brought the film up a few notches for me. Um, He's got a very sort of lengthy monologue, but it's a really powerful scene, I think, in both the way they shot it and and the way he emoted. um, He he carried it really, really well and pretty much is kind of the best thing of the film in my my mind. (laughs) I Um, agree, actually, yeah. Lynn Shong is also here as as like her best friend. And she's got a really weird subplot where she's in love with her ex-classmate, ex-boyfriend, and they're they go to like a family re- or a school a school reunion, and he's got uralysis or something, and he needs a kidney. Now he's married, he's got like his own life, but she still loves him, and she is going to donate her kidney to him. Um, and I guess, you know, by the end she's gone through it and they, they actually make a joke about how her waist is slimmer now as something. I just thought it, it really, this is, is this really trying to be comedy or, you know, is this is, this is what they show as like serious love. You can't be with somebody you love, but you know, you're still going to give up, give up a kidney for them. I don't know, um, what they were trying to do with that subplot. Um, but as I said, Eddie kind of disappears for a while, and then he kind of magically shows up at the end. It's got one of these, like, time jumps, and then he's suddenly back, and no real rhyme, reason, explanation, and, and you know, everything kind of gets resolved suddenly. And, and it, again, it didn't feel organic. It didn't feel natural. And in fact, I thought they were going to go a smarter direction. I thought for a moment they were going to go in a direction that said, a woman doesn't need a man to be happy, to be successful, you know, this kind of a message. But no, I was wrong. They, they, you know, they go for the sort of traditional um, romantic drama, uh, a woman needs a man by her side kind of a thing. But it's just not, it's not really a well-constructed movie in terms of caring about the, the characters. They're too good, they're too pretty, and you'd think they'd work together well, it's just they're not written well enough to give you the sense that they actually care about each other, I think. And it really, to, to contrast this with um, her last film with Richie Wren last year, All You Need Is Love, which was a much better film, at least in terms of building that chemistry and building that sense that these characters liked each other, this one just kind of really falls flat. I, I wouldn't compare it with Eddie's last film because that was about bike racing and sweating and people gritting their teeth, and there's no real comparison here. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's it's just one of those one of these films. It's as I said, it's got some substance there, but it's just you know it's like a you know day old pizza. It's just not quite as good as when it's fresh. So this is probably if you're a Shuchi fan, if you're an Eddie Peng fan, if you're a fan of romantic dramas um, more so than romantic comedies you know this is probably something you could catch later when it's out on video it's not something that i think you need to rush out and buy you might even wait for the the bargain bin version to pop up before you get a hold of it kevin you saw it do you have any any thoughts or any 
you know points that stuck out in your mind? I did. I mean, what a waste of Eddie Pang's you know talent. I mean, actually, even including Shuji's talent. Last year, I said, um, actually, I didn't say it in, on the show, but all you need is love was the proof that like great stars can really save a film. And I sort of take that back after watching this film because not even Shuchi's talent and Eddie Pang's talent sort of saved the film because the material is just so stale. I mean, I came out of it thinking, wow, China it must be the only country who turns who turns single dumb or older single woman into a social problem of Chinese cinema. Because, you know, they can't really talk about their real real social problems so they turn to these middle-aged middle-class bourgeois first world problem as social problems you know there are quite a few films uh, and a lot of you know modern you know netizens they they made to turn the, these you know, leftover woman leftover man into like real social problems you know i, I think that's a real problem in places like like Japan, where you know the population is aging, and you have a big social security problems mounting. Of course, China doesn't really talk about that because you know that's a real social problem, as opposed to you know single women looking for a man as social problem. Anyway, it's sort of weird where they put their priorities here. Uh, apparently, single them can kill your mother. Yeah, that's really odd. Um, I'm guilty of being single. My single them killed my mom. Yeah, it, it's really that kind of film. So for me, it's it's you know it's very much like the title of a probably a much better story, much ado about nothing. You know, like what's the big deal? Like you said, the, I thought it is very confused about what his stance is about being single, because the monologue you think okay, okay, that's that's cool. You know, that's actually quite a good defense. And or at one point you think oh maybe maybe you know it'll be something else that you know maybe it's kind of a more modern, more you know uh, feminist message. And then it turns out. Nah, <laughs> nah, no, it's nothing like that. It's actually going back to that direction. So yeah, it it was very odd. And by the way, the film one of the film's producer is uh, Tan Hua Tao, the director of Love Is Not Blind, which you know I thought was quite a good anti-romantic comedy type uh, type of ro- urban romance. So I'm even more kind of disappointed at how this one turned out. But yeah, you know Shanghai's very pretty city. Yeah, um, yeah, that was one thing that one of one of, one of the notes I had. I, perhaps this is the influence of the cinematographer or maybe the director. It's hard to say, but they had quite a few shots that were these sort of long, slow pullback shots through like an office window or through, you know, a, a two shot of the characters to these large sort of wide landscape shots shots of the city itself. And, and you know, you know, normally you'd see like maybe one shot like this, but I counted at least three and maybe four that they used um, in different parts of the film. Oh, that's because actually someone explained this to me, the whole kind of Guo Jingming culture. Guo Jingming, by the way, is actually from Sichuan, not from, uh, not from Shanghai, but he sort of represents a, a part of China that is obsessed over Shanghai. Hmm. Imagine, imagine these people in, living in new territories in Hong Kong, <laughs> obsessed with, with uh, uh, Central. Yeah. Uh, or imagine like some um, people in Middle America obsessive yeah. New York. That's kind of the the generation or or the the um, um, part the group of people, youngsters, uh, or yeah. even group of people in China of any age that uh, obsess about Shanghai, the urbanness of Shanghai, the beauty of Shanghai. And Shanghai is my favorite city in China, actually, to be honest. Uh, so so a lot of these shots I can tell you that are not you know 
doctor. They Shanghai does when the air is clear. Shanghai is a pretty damn gorgeous city. But yeah, um, it, it's very odd to see three Taiwanese actors um play Shanghai locals when they don't even have like they totally carry the Taiwan accent <laughs> of Mandarin. And they're like, you know, they're trying to be Shanghainese. It's, it's very odd to me, by the way. Yeah, it is. It, it is interesting too when you think of. I mean, if you look at, um, uh, you know, a couple more of these urban films. I mean, Tiny Times, of course, comes to mind, but also things like uh, maybe um, Sophie's Revenge or Go La La Go. You know, where they're very, they're very much focused on women. They're focused on women who are finding success in the workplace but a lot of it still comes back to the need to you know be with a man be in a relationship with a man rather than simply you know um be successful um what there's another what, what's the movie that's also based in shanghai uh hong kong movie with Lai Ming and fei wong um loving leaving you yeah loving, yeah, yeah. Loving, leaving, leaving yeah um i i that that's another movie that i think had has this, this sense of um a lot of uh, much of the focus being on the space of shanghai itself um and so yeah this is a movie if, if you do like movies that focus a little bit on on the city i think it could have perhaps had more of that focus on uh, on a somewhat smaller scale rather than just always the the sort of wide shots you know going to some um, specialized locations they they kind of do in one instance you know they visit like this noodle shop that eddie peng likes but they never really get it never really bears much meaning beyond that but yeah there are a couple films out there that do this in hong kong really i guess the equivalent would be like the lang kwai fong films no you know well, no. well I, 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 think, I mean uh, it's the last not... film to capture it hong kong really this pretty i think no, hong kong no i think lang kwai fong is too too cheap well, it's cheap, uh, but it's look. it's it's that idea that you're talking about, where it's like the people are, you know, the the, the filmmakers are fascinated by this one sort of singular aspect. It's not it's not representative of the whole city, but it's representative of this one sort of very urban section of right. the city. Um, but what was the film last year? Um, Ringo Lam's film, Wild City. Wild City, I think, did a pretty. It had some good shots, uh, urban shots of Hong Kong in in quite a few places. I think uh, Pang Hu Chun's Aberdeen also actually a lot of yeah. you know, gorgeous city shots. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But you know, like I said, yeah, um, I think the film unfortunately is kind of a wasted. It was very hard to screw up, let's just say. But yet, kind of, you have this very, um, you know, very inexperienced director who doesn't really know how to, you know, pace a film who. Who seems very uh, much a novelist, writes like a novelist, still is like a, uh, writes a film like a novel, um, and I think sort of left the lot of the directing, so called directing, to uh, Li Pingbing, uh, Mark Lee, and I can even imagine like Xu Qi and, and and Mark Lee in the set going like, "Hey, remember last year we were working on a Ho Sha Shen film, and look at us <laughs> now, we're here." Like, um, it's very odd, but you know, it, it it's okay. It's a very much like a TV sort of. Saturday afternoon, if it's on TV, you know, watch about 15 minutes of it. And like you said, there are good parts here and there. And um, yeah, it is what it is. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more.
You have been listening to the Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabour of Snauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also have a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at kongcasta.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. Or you can follow us over on Twitter, twitter.com slash kongcast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. If you have any questions, any feedback for the show, we would love to hear from you. You can also follow us over on Facebook. That is East S, West S, and uh, keep up with... You know, uh, what, we, what we're planning to talk about in any given week, shows to come, um, all of that. You can also drop us a line over there. I do urge you to follow Mr. Ma and all that he is doing when he is out and about and writing and freelancing and doing other kinds of cool stuff. So where can they keep up with you, sir? Hey, you can uh, read my work on um, Discovery and Silk Road magazines. Um, Discovery is uh, the iTunes store, your iPad app. Um, the new February issue is out, uh, features an article by myself about Korean from the throne, um, a great article by, by Maggie Lee about um, uh, Office and Steve Jobs. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's on your Catholic local or your, you know, closest Catholic Pacific or Dragonair flights. Um, and it, like I said, it's on the, uh, the iPad app. It's on the uh, iTunes store. You can also find me on Twitter at The Golden Rock. Um, www.twitter.com slash the golden rock you can also check out my blog which I update once in a while now on www.lovehkfilm.com I probably will write a blog post uh, this week so if the time by the time this goes on the air and you already see a new blog post that is the one I'm talking about so uh, yeah go nuts excellent our next show number 185 Hopefully we'll be talking about the Monkey King 2. You know, what is that going to be like as uh, Aaron takes the crown, the circlet from uh, Donnie. We'll have to talk about that next time. So all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying, prepare the Lycee. And we'll see you next time in the year of the monkey. Happy Lunar New Year, everybody. 